You're listening to Surfer vs. Planet, a wave changer podcast hosted by me, Tom Wilson. Each episode features inspiring talks from the creative space where surfing and sustainability meet. I'll be talking to surfers, designers, industry experts, and original thinkers, highlighting some of the fascinating work going on here in Australia and around the world with the aim of creating a greener, cleaner, and more responsible surfing industry. Wave Changer is a program of Surfers for Climate, and you can learn more about our work at wavechanger.org and surfersforclimate.org.au. The whole team at Wave Changer and Surfers for Climate acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. I'm chatting with Gary McNeil. He started shaping at 16. He's been surfing for about 50 years. He's an accomplished surfer with state and national titles. And Gary McNeil Concepts is the name of the business and the brand. He's shaped for well-known free surfer and environmentalist Dave Rastovich, musician Jack Johnson, and even filmmaker Taylor Steele. Gary, how's your weekend been? And uh, did you catch any waves today? Yeah, it's been pretty fun. Good out the front. A lot of people on the weekends here, but it's been quite good. And you're based in Finglehead, is that right? Yeah, Finglehead, I live. So you started shaping at 16. What was the catalyst to get you going on that journey? Um, <clears throat> affordability. <laughs> I had no money, so if I didn't do it myself, uh, it was really hard to to make boards. So um, that was the start, um, being poor. <laughs> did you shape boards for your mates? Uh, at the start, I did a few for them. Um, I think I had a picture from, I think it's like 1984, and there's like, seven boards stacked in a room they were the old big nose ones and uh they're all friends yeah they had a lot of help from friends back then which was nice yeah and i imagine surfboards were very different back then very different back then everything was different uh, boards were made to last whereas these days it's a little bit different your surfboards visually they look stunning um are you inspired by any particular type of art or are the designs all from inside your head um no the artwork i've I've been really blessed um having artworks the sacred geometry stuff's from um jonathan quinton he's amazing um there's another person sharon blair from kiama she does some amazing stuff too um and then people give me art or throw different things at me and some guys supply their own art but um been very blessed with the art jonathan actually helped me out with the logo years ago too so he's been quite a quite a help I checked out your your Flax Tree Tech series, um, a range of surfboards on your website, and it looks like Dave Rastovich has got one. Um, they look amazing, by the way, but can you describe what materials go into their construction and how do they compare to traditional surfboards? Well, at the moment, because we used to use recycled Marco, but we haven't been able to get them in the country probably since COVID, but... Um, they were 25% recycled blanks. We're using them for a while, but we can't get them. So at the moment, it's just a normal, uh, I think the Aero I'm using, uh, which are actually a little bit stronger. Um, the thing that's changed for me is the cloth. Like people don't realise how strong that cloth actually is. They think it's just a look, but it's actually quite, the tensile strength's actually quite strong. They're really a different kind of material to use. I've gone down that road before 
years ago, I was using um, bamboo cloth and I went to hemp and then we went to polonia wood. And, but I finally f settled on the flax because I find strength for weight ratio and this flex because it's all about how they flex. It seems to be the best stuff that we've come across so far in flex. So the, the flax is an improvement on, on hemp and bamboo fibre, do you think? Oh, definitely. The The hemp was great. It was really strong, but the problem was it was really thirsty. It drank a lot of resin and the boards became a little bit heavier, which is okay on the guns and the bigger stuff, but on small boards they were a bit heavy and they were a bit stiffer because they were so strong. So it was the same when we did the Polonia. It was great. It was bulletproof, but the timber did not flex. That was the downside of it. So for me, it was always trying to get that really nice balance of performance, but you've got to get the weight down on, otherwise people won't ride them. So you mentioned um, you had issues with getting the foam in the country due to the pandemic. So was the, the pandemic problematic in terms of production and, and freight and delivery? Oh, it was a problem for, for everything, for everybody. I mean, there was a point in time there, I think right in the middle of COVID or maybe towards the end, you couldn't. The, there was no you couldn't get resin you couldn't get boxes you couldn't get anything it was really everything dried up so it was really hard to get materials and i think marco for whatever reason stopped shipping containers of the blanks here so it got real they they must have got overrun in america which i can imagine they would have um you just couldn't get the foam here and can you just explain what sort of resin that you use i believe it's a bio-based one is that right well, all, all Dave's old boards are, but now we couldn't even get that anymore. Like I've been using just normal epoxy resin for a long time now. Just, you just can't get it. You know, if you can get it, it's super expensive and it's really erratic. Yeah, and I had issues with the hardener too. I had a lot of issues with um, to get the quality to where you want, they're just not as good. So that's another issue too. There's a lot of, there's a lot of manufacturing issues that people don't even talk about that uh, come into play doesn't have to be entropy resin it doesn't have to be recycled foam it just has to be strong foam that's going to last strong glass job that's going to last it, without this is the trick the trick is not to make it heavy and that's that's the upside with epoxies you can make them light and glass like mine are double glass they're flax and six ounce they're strong each side they're really strong but they don't feel it they feel no different to a pu and they surf like a pu they don't have that weird a lot of epoxies are too light, so the air gets under them and they feel real fluffy. Mine, the flax does it acts like a dampener; it doesn't do that. So they're very; it's a very different material to use. Flax is grown like grass. Growing something like flax is just the definition of a renewable material. If you can grow it and nothing's been dug up that's you know formed over hundreds of thousands or millions of years. What we do in the next few years will determine the next few thousand years. I see that you've made surfboards for some some pretty big names. Um, have you got any upcoming projects for anyone else that we might know? Um, the only other guy I think you probably would know would be Ziggy Alberts. Oh yeah, yep, musician. So he's he and he's funny because I've done a few boards for him over the years, and he just like last week just came and saw me. And brought back a lot of PUs and said, "Can you please do these in flax?" So he's he's had a few flax boards. One that he got me to fix was three and a half years old. That's one of my old boards that he claimed, and he's had other ones too. And at the moment, he's riding a five ten 
flax quad that he really likes and um, he's brought some favourite ones in PU and said, can we make these again but make them in flax? Just because they the longevity is there, it's not as gimmicky as what people think it is. I think, I don't know. There's definitely a lot of a lot of tensile strength in them <clears throat> and the upside with them is they don't age. As they get older, you'll see, if, I think on my Instagram there's a photo, there's Jeff Lawton, myself and Dave Raster, and we're standing in Dave's farm and I had to do a board for Jeff Lawton who's like, horticulturist guy and you know permaculture the guy's amazing he's bought three years old three weeks old which has got this purple tinge to it the one i'm in front of me is three years old and it's just looks like a normal flax board and the one in front of dave's is seven years old and his looks like timber so as they age they just start to look like wood they look like a nice timber board but they're actually still flax so dave's got one i think it's seven and a half years old now still going it's in three movies that board same board the longevity is definitely there for them. That's great. Um, and are, is there any issues with with fixing flax as opposed to a fiberglass resin? No, it's because they're epoxy foam, so you have to use epoxy resin on them anyway. So it's only if you've lost a chunk of the flax that, you, and I can replace that anyway. You can get that pretty easy, but no, they're just as easy to fix. Any good repairer can fix them. And is flax easy enough to get hold of? And is there any cost difference versus um, fiberglass? Oh, yeah, it's a lot more expensive. That's why probably a lot of people shy away from it because it's adding probably $100 to a surfboard. But I think for the longevity that you're going to get out of that, it's a pretty good investment because, like we were saying, they, they don't age. You know, they don't, they don't age. They look. And the, the other side of it, too, is people don't realize is the resin. In epoxy resin, it's a real rubbery resin, so the flex pattern does not change. Those boards, as they get older, the flex pattern is still the same. Three years down the track, four years down the track, they still flex the same as they did when you first got them, whereas a PU, as they age, they get they get stiffer and more brittle. You know, they, eventually they get hard and they go, you know, and they break. So um, unless, you know, a different foam, like if you go back to um, a pretty good example is, you know, the single fin comp that they have at Burley every year? Mm, yeah. Those, the minimum age, I think, is 1981. So they're all single fins. They've got to be 81 or under. And I, I was in awe. I stood there with Dave and I think Nev, and we were looking at these boards and I'm going, wow, these things are 35 years old and they're still getting ridden and all these young guys are having a lot of fun on them and they're old single fins from the 70s. It's amazing. But because back then everything was made to last. They were built to last 20 years, whereas now they're not built to last 20 months. Yeah, it's true, and it's a shame. It's it's like a lot of consumer products; they uh, they're very easily re- replaced at a cheap cost. Are there any tips for maintaining flax boards in terms of sun damage or or heat or anything like that? Yeah, well, any any flax any epoxies are the same. It's the same story. Epoxies are, they've got good parts and bad parts. The, the the downside with any epoxy is they don't like water. If you get a ding in an epoxy, my my advice is get out and fix it straight away. Don't keep riding it for three weeks because it's going to deland. They suck up water like a sponge. They don't like water because it's a really aerated core. That's why they're so light because those blanks are full of air. That's what makes them be so light, but they don't like water. So you've got to keep them watertight and they don't. And the other thing with them, they breathe. Epoxies breathe more than a PU breathes. So it will breathe up and down. And so you can't lay down the beach all day and just have your board next to you. It will, it'll deland. So there's the, 
you've got to take more care with them that way. But mm. the upside, especially if you do them in flax, they don't age. So they don't go brown. They're already browned. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? They've already got that beautiful tan colour, looks real earthy, and they'll look like that for years. Whereas a normal white PU or a normal white epoxy, six months, a year down the track, they're already starting to yellow. And this is the biggest problem. People go, oh, well, the board's old. I need to get a new one. But you don't really. It's it's not the way the board's going. It's just how the board looks, if that makes sense. Is, is the flax stronger? Way stronger. The tensile strength on flax is ridiculous. Way stronger. You're listening to Surfer vs. Planet, a podcast by Wavechanger. If you're enjoying this episode, head over to our website at wavechanger.org and access the full library of episodes. Surfer vs. Planet can be found on most popular podcast channels, including Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Your flax boards are clearly progressive in terms of materials and design, but what's the next step for Gary McNeil Concepts? Do you have any new materials on your radar or anything different that you'd like to try? Probably just different models, but at the moment, because I've been searching this for a long time now with the materials, and so we've gone bamboo, hemp, colonial wood, flax. And until something comes along that's better than the flax, I'm staying with the flax. I did the basalt for a while there, and I just found it super strong, but it was a lot like the hemp where it was super strong, but it was stiff. It just doesn't have the same flex that the flax gives you. Yeah, and what about foam? I guess it's a tricky one with foam. There's not a lot of commercially available alternatives. But do you think that needs to change? Well, they've tried. I, I, I did a trade show in America years ago, I think it was back in 2011, and I said, can you give me a green blank? So they gave me this thing, and they go, oh, this is the most sustainable blank, blah, 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 and I shaped the thing. I'm going, oh, my God, this is so soft. And I made it for my friend, and he wrote it, and he said, second surf, he's just about put his foot through the deck. So... I don't care what it's made out of. If it's going to fall apart, it's not sustainable. What are you going to do with the thing? It's in landfill. It's not worth anything. So I've seen them make them out of guava plants and all this different stuff, and but they're heavy and they're full of moisture and they're going to fall apart. So how does that factor in? Just because it's made out of a certain material doesn't mean it's better. Problem with epoxy boards and most people, <clears throat> they all, they're all deniers, but it's the, it's not even the resin. It's the catalyst. The catalyst is the most toxic thing going. It's real bad. Everyone will tell you. Anyone that makes epoxy boards will tell you. A lot of the guys, the old boys that made PU boards, started making epoxies, got really crook off it. They don't make them anymore. A lot of guys don't make them anymore. That's why a lot of the big guys, they just shifted it offshore because it's too hard basket. They don't want to know about it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think if there was a <laughs> sustainable alternative to EPS or PU foam, we would have probably seen it. I think there's guys in Europe, but there's, uh, is it France or, I can't remember if it's France or Erosira, somewhere, Portugal. Um, there's a, there's one poly something they call, they look, they're really, they look real yellow. They look like something that's been under the house for 10 years, you know, they're really, really yellow. Great. They're PUs and they're recycled or whatever it is. They, but the problem that you got with that is they've already got this yellow tinge to it. So you'd have to tint them or spray color them somehow to get away from that look because they don't look the best. I know you're talking about uh, polyola. Polyola, that's it. They use PU foam, but they, they've got a way of like 
melting it down again and reusing it so yeah um but i know what you mean they are they are very yellow um They're really yellow yeah you know what you've got to do is you've got to have it look a certain way it's got to be a certain weight and then all the other factors come into it most guys they don't care mate they really don't care which is sad yeah i think the weight is with the natural materials especially the mycelium which is like the mushroom plant i think there's issues yeah. with that uh with the weight i think oh, i don't know about 10 years ago there was people messing around with it and we would have seen it by now if it was if it worked uh, it's like the agave blanks i've seen them too they're really really heavy because they still it feels to me they feel like they're still full of moisture they were green like really green i'm like oh okay so if you want a really heavy green board knock yourself out and maybe there's a, a time and a place for those sort of materials especially um like learning boards and um maybe even foamies you know where the weight is less important well you got to watch the foamies too because they're mega toxic what they're made out of you know mm. that's plastic peels off when they get too hot you know you got to be careful of those things too once the bottom peels off they just throw them away it's crazy to me, the only thing that's really, truly a sustainable surfboard is made out of wood that can be regrown. So you can you can shape a polonia board and glass it, whatever, or just do it in resin, you know. Great. That's the only really true sustainable board. Everything else has just been greenwashed. You know, mm. it's got this, it's got that. It doesn't have anything. It's just if you want to be that way, get a timber board. But the problem that you face is 99% of the market that's not what they want. Yeah, well, one of the things we've suggested is that the World Surf League can perhaps mandate certain types of boards from, I don't know, from next year or from two years from now. Surfboards have to contain whatever types of materials that they would regulate surfers to have. And then there's a, a window of time that surfers have to get their boards sorted to match those, those standards, you know, and they will hopefully be benefiting the environment. Yeah, yeah. And have it doesn't they don't all have to be, you know, six O squash tail thrusters. It's like, wow, that went out when I was a grommet. Like this they need to move on from that. It's like they're stuck in this loop they can't get out of. I think surfing, the biggest mistake that was ever made was surfing when they called it a sport. It's never been a sport. And it never will be a sport, not in my eyes anyway. It's it's a lifestyle. And you can see all the new people coming in embrace it as a lifestyle. That's what surfing to me is. It's a lifestyle. They, these people, especially all the girls, a lot of girls surfing now too, they don't give a shit about pro surfing. They don't care. And you watch the numbers. You watch, you watch someone will drop a clip, a free surfing clip, minute and a half, two minute clip. It'll get more likes than a whole event. And you're like, well, there you go. There's your answer. You know, why? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I think there's a, there's a clip of, Dan Reynolds surfing Ventura free surfing. Everyone was watching Dan Reynolds and no one was watching the comp. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that. And I, I guess that can apply to a lot of sports where, you know, I'm a soccer fan and soccer used to be a community thing where you'd play for your local club. And then I, I guess things became commercialized and shirt sales and tickets and globalization and TV rights and all those things, you know, take away the, the real essence of the roots of what it's all about. For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. 
Do you think surfers in the surfing industry are doing enough to work in sync with nature? No, not even close. Nowhere near it. And where do you think that uh, that change needs to come from? Do you think it needs to be directed by the surfers, the surf industry, or government regulation or materials, or a bit of all of those things? You could, the government can regulate it. To, it really comes down to what the public demands. If the public's not demanding it, they won't make it. It's that simple. It's like a car. If it's not fashionable, people just don't buy the thing and they don't remake the car. Surfboards are no different. And the things with surfboards like fashion, it changes constantly and it's constant. But the problem is you don't want the old ones to end up in landfill. You know, it's like I see how the clothing industry is on board now. You can see how they, they restyle clothes and resell them. And there's a really good movement going on in the clothing industry so they don't end up in landfill. So it's like, okay, what do you do to stop surfboards ending up in landfill make them stronger make them last do you think there's any future for surfboards where they can be returned and taken apart and reused the materials reused i see what you're saying about the making them last but at their end of life like what do you think could happen at the end of life to ensure that they don't just fully go to landfill is there a is there a way of recycling a surfboard, I think, is what I'm trying to say? To a degree. Um, not, it's hard. You could probably strip them down, but then if the foam's still intact, you could re-glass them. Um, that's a possibility. Um, I think turn them into furniture. You know, some people do that. I've seen that happen around here. It's pretty cool. Turn them into chairs. Yeah, I think it was Firewire were kind of mashing down their boards into flooring tiles. I've seen resin. I've seen resin. The resin that hits the floor. There's, lo- there's always re- leftover resin in a bucket, and I've seen guys melt that down and turn that into fins. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, they're recycling the resin into fins. You can so much cloth gets wasted. You can chop that up and use that into fins. You know, there should be more of that. I think. Okay, if you weren't shaping, what other career path could you see yourself doing? Um, was there something else that turned your head when you were sixteen, or has it always been? surfboards and surfing uh it's always since i was 10 so yeah i think i got the bug pretty early um i was on a different path my father and my brother are both engineers so they build mining equipment for something to do you know they were really good at that my brother's a really good welder and an engineer so i probably would have gone down that track but uh i went a different way i like the ocean too much i can't not be in the ocean driving crazy yeah, so it sounds like you're quite passionate about the environment. Do you do you sort of have any other kind of community interaction? Um, I saw you mentioned Surfrider on your website. Yeah, well, I've done trips. I've done fundraisers with um, Sea Shepherd before. Done a few of them with um, Howie Cook and some stuff in Brisbane, just different things. I've done trips with Dave where we've done the the Hobies surf and the Hobies, you know, we'll sail on the Hobies from. Byron uh, to Bondi, we did that. That was like 36 days and we were collecting rubbish on the beaches along the way and we were actually mapping it to see how much plastic ended up on from the ocean, ended up on beaches. And you'd be surprised. We we landed on the most pristine beaches with no one, not a footprint, but you go up to the shoreline and there's plastic everywhere. So we did the same thing in America. We we, we sailed from uh, Gaviota down to San Diego, doing the same thing, and we did uh, – we, we actually were pretty successful in the States. We got them to slow down the, 
the boats out of LA Harbour, you know, the big container ships, so they come into LA Harbour at a certain speed and we got them to slow it down to like seven knots. So the whales had a chance to get under them and away from them and it dropped the number of whale strikes, which is, that was pretty cool. Um, diff different things that we've done. I think surfers more than anyone else, well, sporting wise, care about the ocean. And um, from your experience, do you think that surfers in general do care a lot about the planet and, and do care about the surfing industry cleaning up its act? Oh, definitely. Surfers, we're the front line. If you can't, if you take us out of the equation, who have you got? Like, next one's probably fishermen and they're rock fishermen. So we're in the ocean every day. So definitely surfers are the front line of it all. If you hear it from them, you know, you know there's something going on. I think I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in an industry that really needs to change its whole act definitely needs to change its whole act. Um, there's only a few participants willing to even try, even to experiment with different things. So as long as they keep making boards that last six months and they'll keep making boards, as long as people keep buying them, they'll keep making them. And that's the downside of it all. You've got to change it. Like you said earlier about things getting built to last, you know, there used to be uh, vacuum cleaner repair shops in the UK. Um, oh, okay, yeah. And you would, you know, you'd take your vacuum cleaner there to get repaired and there'd be a engineer or whatever who would know what to do, yeah. take it apart, probably charge £10 or whatever. And now it's so cheap to buy a replacement. I just think yeah. that culture's just gone out the window. Well, remember when you were a kid, like I remember when I was a kid, cars were built to last 50 years. Now cars are built to last six, six years. That's the average lifespan of a car. What happened? Yeah, I know. It's, uh, what is it? Planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence. Most evident in uh, mobile phones, you know, the the software runs out after a few, well, the software has been updated so many times after a few years that something that's maybe three or four years old is out of date, even if you've looked after it. I thought so Audi did something really good with their cars. They 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 never changed the shape. They only changed the shape every five years which is great because then you had that car you bought was worth, had value, had kept its value for at least five years. So, and even then it was still worth something. But whereas nowadays it's a new model every year. It's like they just, you know, and surfboards are the same. They're always trying to come up with a new model, a new model, a new model, and they're going in circles following each other. It's pretty funny to watch, but you don't need a new model every year. You do, you do every couple of years, not every year. You don't, that's just sales. Okay, the last section we've got is called Hang Five, and it's five quickfire questions. And if you can just answer them in one or two words, what first got you interested in your environmental journey? Uh, how we cook. I was uh, surface visitations. I was dragged into that and became part of that little organisation. Who inspires you the most from the environmental movement? Um, Belinda Beggs is doing some great stuff. Dave's always done some really good stuff. Taylor Steele, Nathan Oldfield make really nice movies about the environment. So you can't go wrong with those guys. What's the coolest response to the environmental crisis that you've seen? <laughs> the coolest response was, um, when I saw a friend of mine, Natalie Fox, I think she was in the Maldives and they were, they were pulling up, uh, fishing nets just everywhere, miles and miles of fishing nets, and they were pulling them up and they were melting them down and recycling them and making surfboards out of them. I thought, that was pretty cool. What's your favourite marine animal and why? 
got to be the whale, definitely, just because they're so cool and they make so much noise and the biggest splashes going on. Finally, in our bid to save the planet, can you give a short sentence to inspire others to keep going? Yeah, we've got to figure out how to stop the plastic. Stop the plastic, you're halfway there. It's killing everything. It's killing all the marine life worldwide. You've got to get rid of the plastic. I know there's groups trying to stop that big garbage patch. You know, they're trying to clean up that garbage patch, the big one. This really needs to happen. Stop using fossil fuels, you know, as much as possible. There's alternatives out there, but people just aren't chasing it, which is sad. Thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to support our work at WaveChanger, head over to our website at wavechanger.org. And we hope you'll consider buying a membership for our WaveChanger Club, which features giveaways, entries into our monthly draw with amazing prizes, and access to a bunch of great discounts from our partner brands. Your support allows us to expand our impact and make an even bigger difference to safeguarding our planet. See you next time.